In the book of Daniel, there's a little verse, Daniel 1132a. Thank you. And it says, the people who know their God will display strings and take action. Daniel, like Stephen, like many of the New Testament characters, had a strength in their relationship with Christ that was very evident. And that, I, that song that we sang, or we watched, we heard being sung so beautifully, was uh, the idea that when God comes upon a man or a woman and he speaks to the heart, there is a settledness, a deep, deep sense of peace that no matter what you go through, you know the Lord is with you in it. Have no anxiety about anything, but by everything in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses, that goes way above any kind of cognitive analysis, that peace of God, which goes beyond our understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And one of the things that the Lord wants for you is to have that deep, deep sense of assurance that you are his. My sheep know my voice. They don't go after another. And that's the call that each of us have when we, when we come to Christ, that the Spirit of God is given to each one of us so that we might experience all the grace and the love that God has for us. That's your inheritance. That's what we talked about in the book of Ephesians, that God is revealing himself to us. And Jesus has redeemed us. And the Holy Spirit is uh, restoring us in that relationship. And so you are a peculiar people. You're not like the world, for you haven't received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God that you might understand all that God is. And we're all at a different point in our journeys. And so we all are at this point where we come before Christ with an unveiled face. But today, we're in a position in, in, in the book of Acts where we see that there are people who don't want to be involved with Christ. And so what you have in the book of Acts is a confrontation, a tension involved with a group of people who are religious and a group of people who really have a heart for God. And one of the things, uh, uh, the title is about exposing the Spirit. When the Spirit of God meets people face to face with an unveiled face, then becomes the whole work of redemption, restoration, and sanctification, so on and so forth. But Jesus would say we wouldn't follow somebody else because we know his voice. And yet, would you follow somebody else? A lot of people do. They want to hear Jesus. I've heard people say, well, I tried Jesus and he didn't get me off of drugs. Uh, I tried Jesus and he didn't do anything for me, and I, my husband left me for that woman anyway. It just seems like we have a conception of what we want God to do that's based on our, 
our understanding, but would you follow somebody, somebody else who has a different thought? Jesus would say to his disciples, uh, my words to you are spirit and my words to you are life. In all of its fullness, everything that Christ comes for us is so that you would be alive in your spirit. And yet, there are many, many cults in, around us. I didn't, I, I didn't know this number, but there were 10,000 cults according to this expert, Stephen Eichel. 10,000 cults. And this particular cult, the, the Australian cult uh, called the family, is pernicious. And, and if you've ever been involved with a cult or understand how to get out of a cult, there's a voice, there's a spirit that's going on inside. But could you identify what a cult is? Could you understand if God's working here and somebody says, well, God's Spirit's working here. Could you identify what a cult is? By the way, the word cult means worship. And culture is what you worship. So in our American culture, what we worship is the almighty dollar. We even put that on our, in this God we trust. But could you identify a cult? There's lots of things out there that are, quote, religious, that are, quote, spiritual, that are, quote, uh, we're not organized religion, we are spiritual. And so it becomes a, a trendy thing to be spiritual, but when you start to ask people what they believe and what the basis of faith is, they, they turn away from the scriptures, and so they go to another book that explains the book instead of going to the original source. Now here's the question, is Christianity a cult? Interesting question. You wouldn't think about that question because we're on the inside. But the cult of Christianity, defined as a group or church or organization whose central teaching and or practices are claimed to be biblical or representative of biblical Christianity, but are in fact unbiblical and are not Christian in nature. There are a lot of organizations, a lot of churches that will have a religious veneer. But when you get to the spirit underneath it, the spirit underneath it is not the spirit from Christ. And therefore, is Christianity a cult? Well, it depends on who you talk to. It depends on your perspective. And this is exactly the issue we're getting here in Acts 7 because we're coming into a confrontation a point in this book where we're following through this two-volume se section of Acts. Luke is the first volume. Acts is the second volume. And God to do the work on the cross. The Spirit of God's taking that cross and applying that gospel into salvation for not only the Jews, but for those who are beyond the Jews outside of Jerusalem into Samaria to the Judea and the uttermost parts of the world. God is doing something, but this something is not really, really understood well because they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. At that, They had to learn about how to walk with Christ. And therefore, the real question is not, is it a cult? Is it biblical? And therefore, the tensions that the the people in the book of Acts had to wrestle with is, this is our configuration. This is our model. We are Jews. We are, by nature, our, our training, our tradition. We follow God. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And, and reverberating in the heart of the Jewish person is the whole Jewish identity. We are a called people. We follow Moses. The Torah is ours. The temple is ours. This is who we are. Look at it. This is, and in this community, Jesus comes and pours his spirit out on the sons and daughters. And the question is, is it biblical? And they would say about Stephen, this man, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and against the law. And we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. You're in the middle of a conflict, and I hope as you read the book of Acts, you go back 2,000 years and put yourself in their shoes. If you were a member of the Sanhedrin, if you were a member of the Pharisees, if you were those who wanted to be the, the zealous to want change in the culture, or if you wanted to say the whole thing's a mess, we're going to go to the desert and be mystics. We're going to find Christ our own way. But if you're back there, it, it is just as tense as it is today when it comes to the spiritual discussions. And yet, this clash of orthodoxies between these various groups are going to come down to two major questions. One, is it theologically biblical or is it sociologically approved by a dominant group? And when you think about a cult, you have these two categories that you have to understand. But for the, the people in Acts 7, they are saying about Stephen and the seven deacons that were called to go minister to the widows who were Hellenist in their orientation. These guys are illegitimate. And I want you to feel that tension. These are no longer just the, the Jews of Jerusalem. These are the international Jews who are ministering to the expats who've come back home and say there's a two-tier system here. They're the Hebrew widows and they're Hellenist widows and we like this group and we don't like that group we're going to ignore and so the spirit of God is doing something but this something is not the tension on the outside this something is tension on the inside because God doesn't want tension in the church he wants that peace and that harmony and that unity to be focused not because they agree with each other it's because they agree with the spirit of God and therefore we're in a position here where they trump up the charges against Stephen, said, you are not of the same spirit as our God, one, the charge, and two, you're, you're arguing against Moses for Pete's sake. You can't be biblical. Three, you want to move us away from the law. Four, your Jesus says, tear down this temple in three days, I'll build it up. You've got to be kidding me. Could you not see how Christianity in the first century would be considered a cult? They wouldn't allow it. Because in their mindset, the presupposition that Jesus as Messiah would never be, would never be God incarnate in the flesh. It's 
Inconceivable that God would break into human history, become a human man, born of a virgin, and do these things as a man, as a God-man. No way. The Messiah is going to come from heaven. It'll be a divine restoration. It'll be a divine kingdom. This man, Jesus, we can't handle, he doesn't fit into our theology. And therefore, they resisted Jesus. Are these things so? Stephen, your turn. The charge is against you. What's at stake here? What's at stake in this book is something that some of these commentaries even skip over. Skip over a lot of these long passages that have to do with Stephen or some of the passages that have to do with the role of of the Jewish nation to bring into existence the kingdom of God. But what's at stake is the sense of biblical continuity. That God, what he did in the past, is doing now and will do in the future. This sense of God is at work, this continuity that the Jewish believers in the first century that you see here following the Messiah is biblical, is theological. It's the, we are the logical heirs and the successors of the stream of the earlier faithful and righteous Jewish people. This is an important part of Stephen's argument back. And so he says, God. And he comes to, he comes to the group and he says, brothers, 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 friends, we're not your enemies. We're just like you. And the God that you talk about is the God that we talk about, the God of glory, the God of glory who called Abraham out. This God is the same God. We're on the same page, brothers. And this God that we are talking about called Abraham, and he goes into this glory of God And the first thing that Stephen does when he gets into tension is to find this connection point where they associate. We're we're not against you. We're with you. And therefore he says, this God of glory, and by the way, this name, the God of glory, is not used very often. Psalm 29, who is this King of glory? Who is this Lord of hosts? The Lord strong and mighty. This one that David talked about is the one we're talking about. What God did with Abraham, this God of glory, God did with Jacob, God did with David, God's doing with us. And therefore, they listen. Instead of being in an argument for a while, they're quiet and they're listening to Stephen as he's talking about, yes, these things are so. And with Moses... The spirit of Moses, his heart was, he was so intimate with God, he was called the friend of God. Of course we're not going to be against Moses because the faith that Moses had as the prophet, Moses said he's going to raise up another prophet. We're with you. We agree with you. We agree with you on God. We agree with you on Moses. And we understand that God is working this law out because we have been given the covenant. We have been given the promises. We are on the same page. And this temple, God doesn't dwell in a temple. 
We know that. We go to the place to worship, but God has changed that. And so as, as the people who are Jewish following Christ, they say we are Messianic Jews. Now here's a question. Can a Christian be Jewish? You ever think about that? One person I know, uh, Jeannie, said to me, well, I'm a Christian, therefore I must be Jewish. Because the spirit of the Jew is not just the external, it's the internal. So I, and she, <laughs> she would tell people that uh, she was Jewish. Well, can a Jewish person become a Christian? Well, that doesn't sound, that sounds okay for if you're a Gentile, but for, if you're Jewish, you wouldn't use the word Christian because Christian wasn't the code word until in the middle of the book. They were called disciples of Christ. And therefore, if a Jewish person follows the Messiah, they're called Messianic believers. They're not called Christians. So don't make that mistake if you're, if you're communicating. You're talking about the Messiah, not the Greek word Christ. But you're talking about a, a one who is born again. One who's come to understand that this one is sent from heaven. That God sent to bring salvation. We believe that. But he's not a Jewish Christian. He's a Jewish believer following the Messiah. And therefore, uh, does the Christian become Jewish? Well, no. Even though Paul says a person is not a Jew who is on, only one outwardly, nor is, circumcision, nor is circumcision merely outward or physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. And therefore, the true believer, the one who has the Spirit, whose, whose heart is unveiled and open to Christ, he's a follower of the Messiah, whether Jew or Greek. Because it's not being Jew or Greek or Irish or American. It's the fact that the Spirit of God dwells within you. And therefore, I'm not ashamed of because it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. And therefore, Stephen responds to He's already identified with them. He's associated with them. He addresses these arguments and says, no, we're not against God. We're not against Moses. We're not against the law. But he then turns and says to them something that is not PC. You're not. As people fought Moses and rebelled against the prophets, as people who, who forgot God and went off into idols, there are people who resist. You also resist the Spirit of God. And for that reason, the exposure of their spirit was what Jesus did in the New Testament. Didn't Jesus... Didn't Jesus expose people's hearts? Why did you go out to see John the Baptist? What did you expect to see? Did you go out to see John the Baptist because you wanted to repent? You didn't want to do that. Rich young ruler, do you want to sell all your money and give to the poor? Take your assets and leave them behind and follow me? And of course he didn't want to do that. Jesus would expose the heart that's given to idol worship. 
Jesus would expose the spirit that's kind of playing games with him. So every time the Pharisees would test Jesus, <laughs> you just don't play games with Jesus. You're going to lose every time. But what Christ did in the New Testament, the Spirit of God does in the book of Acts. And therefore, Ananias and Sapphira, you can't fool the Holy And therefore, when he comes into this tension with this, the defense, the Spirit of God is moving away from Israel and he's moving into the Gentile world. That's what's happening. And therefore, he's exposing the Spirit through Stephen. And Stephen as a Hellenistic Jew, international expat coming back to Israel, he's saying, no, God's spirit is alive. And the stillness and the assurance and the peace that Stephen had when they stoned him, he wouldn't wouldn't move off of that. And therefore, what you find here is a work of God in the heart of man. When God's heart, when man's heart is exposed to the heart of the Spirit and people receive Christ instead of reject Christ, something takes place on the inside that says, I'm alive and I belong to him. End of the story. No matter what you do to me, I will not fear you and therefore I will move in strength like Daniel did. In one sense, as I think back through, as I think back through the uh, the story of of Daniel and the lions, I think of I think of Stephen, and I think about how as Daniel was in the among the lions, so Stephen was being stoned among lions. But have no fear, Christian, because if you get persecuted or if you're in that kind of discussion, God's Spirit will take over and give you the words to say at that moment. But know this, God's working to move the church away from Israel into the nations. And therefore, he says, go into all the nations and tell this story. I love you. I came for you. And yet, when I came to my own, they rejected me. And therefore, I'm turning away from them and I'm turning to the Gentiles. And that's the beginning of Stephen's uh, argument. And that's the reason why they stoned Stephen. As you open up the book of 8, 9, and 10, as you go into the rest of the book, you're going to follow what God did then in the Old Testament he's doing in the book of Acts, and he will do here in Chesterland. That I believe. Because the Spirit of God isn't passive. He's on the move. So let's, let's keep learning, focusing, keep your ear bent. Okay, God, Here's my heart, take and seal it. I'm on the Lord's side, and I want that peace that passes understanding. Let's pray. Father, you, you really are something else. And uh, you're more than, we, more than we expected. You're so much more thrilling and scary and comforting and everything we need. And Lord, it's to you we turn and we say, thank you, Jesus, that you don't follow man and our thinking, but you bring us into the very kingdom so that we follow yours. Lord, thank you that your spirit is still alive and still moving within us, still strengthening us and still giving us peace. 
For all those who don't know Christ, Father, would you continue to prick their hearts and open them up so that they would not be resistant, but they would be receptive to you. Now take this word, take this church, and reproduce it 30, 60, and 100 fold for your glory and our growth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.